Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. My name is Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day, and we're PhD students at Stanford University. This podcast is brought to you by the International Society of Biomechanics. It's, it's time, time for Boom. Welcome to Boom. We have Biomechanics on Our Minds. Boom. 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 Welcome to Biomechanics on Our Minds. I'm Melissa Boswell. And I'm Hannah O'Day. And we are so happy to have you here for episode 47. It was such a good one. We say that about so many. We say that about every episode, but seriously, (laughs) we talked with Martha Hall, Professor Martha Hall at the University of Delaware, and she is in so many departments, you'll you'll just have to wait and... (laughs) See, but spanning biomechanics to fashion and design to entrepreneurship, and that is what we talk about in the episode is how she's able to combine all these fields, and it was truly mind blowing. And my my <laughs> head is just like going all over the place thinking about so many like cool ideas and, and ways to innovate in biomechanics that I've never thought about before. So. We're so happy that we get to share that with you. Yeah. If you think you can't do it all, listen to this episode. (laughs) 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 So before we get into a bit of boom, we also just wanted to say that if you find value in boom, uh, we would so appreciate it if you would leave us a review or rate us on Apple Podcasts and share boom with a friend in biomechanics or in fashion or in any place that you think any field someone that you think would um, also enjoy boom and now hannah has a bit of boom for us bit of boom bit of boom lily bit of boom bit of boom all right so today's bit of boom since today since we talk about fashion and clothing and uh wearable tech i thought I would take a paper from researchers in Jen and Val's group here at Stanford um, because I had a, a friend who worked in her group and they're all about materials engineering okay. uh, for different innovations um, in, in human applications. Very cool. Um, and they have a paper uh, from 2019 called a wireless body area sensor network based on stretchable passive uh, sensors. And that's in nature. Mm. And they basically share this body net system, which is composed of stretchable sensors attached on different skin locations that gather human physiological and movement signals. Um, And they're wirelessly operated by silicon readout circuits that are attached to the actual clothing. So this is basically a too long, don't read. It's the future of smart clothing. It's like, imagine having all these sensors integrated into your textiles. They're stretchy. So they're not rigid like we normally think of sensors being sort of like, you know, hard plastic or um, yes. metal. These are like really stretchy and pliable sensors. So stretchy, in fact, that you could, um, the, the system is functional when it's stretched to 50% strain or under 50% strain. Wow. Um, which if you think, I had to actually reference this because I was like, what does that even mean? I think if you look at a stress strain curve for tendons, they like fail around 8% strain. Okay. So we're like, yeah you know, five times that. Um, wow, it's made for Alaska woman. Alaska woman, oh my gosh. <laughs> the incredible can happen. Yes. <laughs> no, I think this is so exciting to have more technology that's integrating movement sensors because I think then we can monitor biomechanics, right? And 
and then be able to leverage what we're learning about biomechanics in a lab to real life when we're actually able to sort of passively measure these things exactly. and be able to to monitor health and, and use biomechanics as a signal to give insights into our health and well-being. Exactly. And I think the key word you used there was passively, right? Like mm-hmm. doing this in a way that doesn't interfere with your normal movements because then you're going to be recording things or signals that aren't normal. Yeah. Yeah. And things that we always wear. Like sometimes I don't wear my watch to work, but I always wear pants to work. So, <laughs> so now... <laughs> I can so confirm that my, you don't always wear pants to work. Yes. And so if the sensors were integrated into something like that, then it would be you know, le- one less thing for me to have to worry about, but still get you know, the insights into my movement that I want to learn about. Exactly. And this paper is from 2019. So there have been innovations since. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are even sensors that can interface directly with your skin. So I think that's really exciting to just kind of blow the top off of what could be possible and think about the future. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. And now we'll jump into our interview with Martha Hall. Welcome back to Boom. We're so excited to be here with Professor Martha Hall. Um, Martha is an assistant professor and director of innovation for um, the College of Health Sciences, and she covers many other departments. She's in fashion and apparel, entrepreneurship, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, computer engineering, and biomechanics are one of our favorites, <laughs> all at the University of Delaware. Um, and we're so excited to have her here because as you could hear, she has a very interdisciplinary background and she's doing something Melissa and I both really admire, bringing scientific innovation together with compassionate design to create human-centered solutions. So we're really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thank you. We are excited to first get a little bit of background on your story and when you first knew that you wanted to be a biomechanist and then um, probably what everyone's wondering now, given that <laughs> that introduction <laughs> yeah. is how did you then uh, combine, start to combine fashion and, and biomechanics and all of these different areas together? Yeah, so I get that question a lot because it's very, it's a very unusual. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what really what inspired my journey um, was when I was doing my master's degree in fashion design. Um, well, and even before that, when I was an undergraduate in fashion, you know, I had this concept that I was going to be in New York and I was going to do the catwalks and I was going to not the catwalks, but I was going to be a designer in New York and kind of follow that whole trajectory that we kind of think about as kind of the stereotypical outcome for going into apparel design and fashion. And then it was during my master's program that just randomly I was invited to a talk um, given by Dr. Cole Galloway. So if you're not familiar with his work, I highly, highly recommend uh, Googling Go Baby Go, which was his research group at the time. And uh, Dr. Galloway is a pediatric PT. And he was giving a talk about assistive technology, user-centered design, um, really the social justice model of, you know, creating products that are family-centered and child-friendly. And Mm. he was talking in this um, kind of TED Talk format about how children, uh, he worked with uh, babies and toddlers who, for whatever reason, had mobility challenges. And he was talking about how how connected our mobility is to cognition development. And as Mm. you're delayed... um, with your motor development, you can, you're at risk for developmental delays cognitively. 
And so a child is not eligible for a wheelchair until they're age five. And so you have five years of falling behind your peers. And so he was like, this is crazy. Why do why do we have this system? And so he went to what was then Toys R Us <laughs> and got, um, you know, this like a Barbie ride on Jeep or a Lightning McQueen car and completely retrofitted it out to be a support mobility device for babies and toddlers so that these babies could be comfortable. You know, they had um, the structure to support their bodies and they could explore their world and they could, you know, he talks a lot about how mobility is a human right. And Mm. at the end of his talk, you know, and when I was listening to his talk, you know, I didn't have a background in PT. I I don't consider myself like a baby person. Like I, it was (laughs) out of my element. And he was talking at the end about, you know, why don't we have this kind of technology in a lot of different form factors, including fashion? And he just kind of whimsically said that. He's like, for wow. example, your, your sweatshirt could have, um, you know, integrated parts that help you move and play. And as soon as he was done talking, I went I, a beeline right to him. And I was like, Dr. Galloway, I'm Martha Hall. I want to volunteer. I don't know what I can do to help you, but I'm here for it. And that was the first, that was like, you know, the pivotal moment. And then yeah. what really solidified things for me is the first time. So the first project I worked on with him uh, was with Dr. Lobo, who is a, at the time was a research scientist in his lab. And she was doing the same kind of assistive technology development for upper extremity. And so we were working on developing some sort of device that would help a child, I mean, three months to 18 months, you know, move their arms. Um, so for children who, for whatever reason, couldn't move their arms. And so, again, they're at risk for delays. They're at risk for, you know, not being able to do their activities of daily living, like learning to feed and all of that. Uh, the first time I made a device and a baby was able to move um, and do all this stuff on their own, I was like, that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this career is going to look like, but I've got to pivot and I've got to go down this path. And so, you know, I very quickly started my biomechanics journey and forged this concept of wearables, health, engineering, you know, user-centered design, empathy to really kind of create a new path for myself. And my hope is I'm in some small way doing the same for my students now. Um, to see a different way of going about design. That's a beautiful journey. And <laughs> so amazing to have like that one pivotal moment that really like that you, and that you had the courage to follow um, mm-hmm. and, and really pursue. Um, oh, it definitely was very scary. I mean, when I, <laughs> when I applied for the biomechanics program um, as a fashion designer, as my background, they're yeah, like, but- <laughs> It was like, I had to say that I had to kind of confront the elephant in the room. It's like, why do you want to be here? This is so not, you know, your training. Mm -hmm. And so I learned through that process and with interacting with my peers and interacting with faculty to understand how I added value to, Mm -hmm. to the biomechanics world. So how can I contribute with my toolbox, with, you know, my background discipline, you know, how can I talk, speak the language and insert kind of what do I bring to the table? But yeah, definitely was an interesting, interesting <laughs> journey. <laughs> Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Because I'm, I think fashion is such an amazing example because I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm in computer science. I don't think I can be an bioengineer. Like the fields mm-hmm. that, you know, they're 
much more similar than fashion. And, and to me, it's so inspiring to see you do that. And I think know yourself so well and the value that you bring. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, when, when you're asked, how did your perspective as having this background in fashion really add to your career in engineering? Um, what, yeah, what types of things uh, do you, do you talk about? <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically I talk a lot about, um, again, kind of what fashion brings to the table and how, you know, at its root, what is fashion and what is it, what does it add to the design process? And so, you know, for me, a lot of the, um, looking at, at wearables, you can strip it down to, well, you can strip it down to like really thinking about fit, really thinking about comfort, really thinking mm -hmm. about um, the user experience, the human body interface with a device. Um, all of that is extremely important. And you learn that in a fashion realm, you know, you learn that. And so, you know, being in a bubble in fashion, I was thinking, as I mentioned earlier about this career in ready to wear and all of that, but you know, at the end of the day, it's super fun to make a cocktail dress, but you're not going to change someone's quality of life necessarily <laughs> or, or their <laughs> level of independence. And so when I was able to see that the skill set that I learned and some of the approaches that I had from a fashion design perspective could add value to someone's life, improve their mobility, as I shared before, their independence, their level of dignity, you know, just being able mm -hmm. to, um, you know, don and doff a garment independently without the assistance of a caregiver. I mean, mm. that's all very exciting example of how these areas can merge. And I, I get all the time with students who are like, you know, I have very, um, you know, discordant things that I'm interested in, or I'm, I'm all over the place with what I want to do. And it's like, well, most of the world outside of college is interdisciplinary. Like we, we yeah. get in this kind of little, yeah. Um, track, you know, when we're in school and we think about your major or your grad program or whatever it is and all of the very narrowly defined careers that are related to that. But once you leave that environment um, and get out into, I hate this expression, but the real world, you get out into, like, <laughs> you know, um, working with industry or, or working with other people in a nonprofit or, or what have you you find that an interdisciplinary approach is key. You can't be mm -hmm. so narrowly defined that you can't have a broader perspective, or at the very least, you being interdisciplinary yourself helps you <laughs> engage with other people from other disciplines, which again, mm -hmm. is completely normal for most jobs. So I, I think having this background has helped me show people how to merge different things and how they can go together, mm. um, but also, tell the story of, you know, not necessarily what I do, but something that, that combines these different elements is going to be a pivotal part or a very important part of your career path. And, and having that skill set, um, mm -hmm. I think is really important. That's awesome. That, and I think it's so true that we, I feel like sometimes it's like easier for your brain to like just narrow and like figure out one thing, but then, um, really working to actually integrate and be an such an important skill yeah. and maybe well, one that's not really taught. Yeah. And, and I think too, it's also messy and fuzzy and people don't like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, yes. it's very safe exactly. <laughs> to be in like yeah. your track, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know what to do and you know how to answer the problem. I mean, one of the things, um, just a quick anecdote, one of the things that 
um, really showed that to me is when I was first interacting with these uh, different participants and working with families, you know, just being fresh out of um, fashion school, you know, my approach to problem solving was like, I'm the designer. I know what I'm talking about. This is what you need. Here you go. Go Mm -hmm. use it. And it's like, no, 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 (laughs) you can't, you can't function that way. And not only that, but as a designer, you also can't have what I call the Gollum syndrome, which is a nerdy Lord of the Ring reference, but <laughs> is a, is a um, this kind of precious baby element with your designs. Like you, you don't, mm. you're not able to let it have that risk to let it fail or risk to not being perfect the first time out. So, you know, I think having those, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> we're all, well, I'm picturing Gollum right now. So, <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as I said that, I was like, <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, I think that's really helpful when, what you're saying with mm-hmm. making sure that you're not, I think when you have that, this is my precious project, mm-hmm. then it's really hard to take in new ideas and bring in new perspectives. Yeah. And, and also, I think, take, um, feedback as something mm-hmm. constructive and positive for, mm-hmm. rather than feeling defensive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, I haven't heard it uh, called that yeah. before, but I think <laughs> you can uh, uh, ter- coin that term. Yeah. Yeah. And so you just reminded me, so that's, that's why like, if you have this precious um, thoughts about your project, you really aren't open to, letting the participant be the expert. And so Mm. I can't walk into a um, design problem and say, you know, I know what I'm doing because I'm a designer, yada, yada, yada. The patient is the expert. The caregiver Mm. is the expert. Mm -hmm. The provider is the expert. Like you are using your tool toolbox to answer the problem and come up with a solution, but you are not, you are not an expert in someone else's lived experience. So that's why the empathy piece is extremely important. Mm. Yeah, and that's definitely like, Melissa and I have been uh, lucky to take some design classes and I think they teach, they're really good at teaching that. And um, I feel like that was just a whole different perspective than the engineering approach um, that we taught in other classes. So Mm -hmm. um, it's it's nice, it's cool that that's something you brought over from fashion. Um, I'm wondering if there are other things that um, you brought from fashion, like in what, you know, I could imagine that in these conversations with all these different disciplines, like there's probably some surprise or even resistance to some of the things you're. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one, like, would you mind sharing like an example of that or, um, and how you sort of worked through it? Like, how do you kind of integrate well? And, and, and bring these different sure. So I can give an example of, you know, kind of some challenges and then something that I bring to the table that kind of twists, kind of put that on its head, I think, for people or helped other people understand. Again, going back to my graduate school experience, um, often people, when they first hear that you're in fashion, that there's kind of a stereotype of what you do is very fluffy. I got that a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. You know, what you do is very artsy. You know, why do we care about aesthetics? We're in, you know, especially where I was being trained in a physical therapy environment you know, the focus is on function and especially again with the engineering approach too. like your focus is to improve patient function. Your focus mm-hmm. isn't to make it look cute. 
And so I got a lot of jokes about like, oh, you want to put glitter on this scoliosis brace? I bet. And I was just like, no, that's not what I Unless they want glitter. But what I would say is that, you know, from fashion, social psychology is incredibly important when you think about things that we wear. And so if you think mm-hmm. of someone who has a disability, if you think of someone who has a chronic illness or a chronic disease, and if they have any kind of thing that they are wearing to help promote that that ability or mobility or independence there's a sense people need to feel a sense of their themselves so meaning if you have um, an acquired disability say you had some sort of trauma or you had some sort of illness and it kind of changed your your lifestyle and your life pattern and what you needed for assistance all of a sudden having devices that you need to use, um, different kinds of clothing that may not express who who you are, how you feel about yourself, all of these items, all of these wearables convey information about how you see yourself and even more so how you want to be treated by other people. And that's just the reality of our culture. And so, you know, me explaining to people, you know, the aesthetics of a device. So going back to the scoliosis race, the aesthetics of that device are important because not only does it give you a sense of, um, you know, buy-in, like the patient would be like, okay, this looks like something that might help me. And so there's an essential appeal to it. But when I wear it, do I still feel like I'm reflecting my sense of self and my self-concept? And so as I started to share that, it became much more understandable that, yeah, fashion may feel fluffy, but there's there's a lot to it. There's a science to it. There's a um, there's an engineering to it. Um, I had a former mentor who used to call herself an apparel engineer just for that very reason to try to mm. to try to give people a different point of view when they met her. And I think that was brilliant. And I I do that all the time with my students. Is like that's what we're combining here. Is we're combining that social psych piece, that comfort piece, that fitting and interface piece with functionality. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I think sometimes in engineering, it's kind of the, in my experience, has been the extreme um, where a lot of times we don't think about fashion. um, Or if you do think about fashion, maybe it's like you don't care enough about science then or something, you know, and it's it's amazing, I think, too. Because I think what you're saying is, you know, with what we're wearing, it is, um, an expression of ourselves and it can either make us feel more like ourselves or it can make us feel disconnected to ourselves. And I think for what it sounds like what you're saying is particularly for people with movement disorders and you know needing to wear something to help with that, wanting to still feel authentic and like they're able to express themselves in the way they want. And that um, I feel like as able bodies, we're able to do that much easier and, and really have that choice. Um, and so it's, and it's just like so powerful that you're able to help people feel empowered with, with what they're wearing and, and have it feel more connected with who they are, because then I think they would want to wear, you know, I've, I work with people with osteoarthritis and I've heard people say, you know, the brace helps me, but I don't want to wear it because it's bulky and it looks weird and it draws attention to myself and, you know, it, yeah, they don't want to, they don't then want to use it, even though it might be helpful for mm-hmm. them. Well, and then they become um, like non-compliant or a bad patient. Mm -hmm. And it's like Mm. that you're putting the blame on the patient, that there's something wrong with that person or 
that they don't want to wear the device. Don't you know it's going to improve your function? Don't you know it's going to help you? And it's like, well, why don't we revisit the device? Why don't, why don't we revisit the, the that social psych piece that's inhibiting someone to want to wear it? And so maybe we can streamline it. You know, maybe we can, you know, change the color or change the material so that it feels more um, comfortable, both mm-hmm. physically and psychologically. Mm-hmm. Can you share more about some of the projects that you're working on currently? Maybe a couple that you're most excited about. Yes. I actually brought props, which I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. Now yeah, we uh, have a YouTube channel, so we'll be okay. able to show some video clips, which is awesome. <laughs> okay. So I will talk, I will explain it out, but I will show you some stuff. So I just brought a handful of things. So, you know, I, <laughs> My grad students get on my case about this all the time. I have so many studies going on at the same time. So I mm. usually have between 20 or 30 projects going yeah. on at the same time. It's, <laughs> How it's, many students do you have? Two. Uh, this yeah. Semester, yeah, it's a good question. This semester I have 80 undergraduates. And yeah. <laughs> yeah you so manage it's, 80 <laughs> it's quite. It's quite a lot. Um, not so many graduate students because I try to give them more personal attention, but yeah, it's, there's a lot happening. And as you can see, like, I like to have my hands in a lot of pies. So the projects that we work on are in this, as I said before, this kind of wearables for health space. Mm-hmm. So that could be clothing related, you know, that really pulls up my heartstrings from a fashion point of view. It can be medical device related. We do a lot of sports rehab devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do a lot of protective equipment and, things like that. So I brought some props to show you examples of those that I um, am excited about. So the first one, all right, so this is a pair, I'm not going to name drop labels, but (laughs) this is a pair of uh, jeans that were made for someone with a disability. Now the challenge, so so, um, designers are starting to get in the space like bigger apparel brands, which is awesome, but they often don't think about the problem holistically. And I would say they don't think about the empathy piece. Mm. Um, And so for example, this is a pair of pants that are intended for a child with cerebral palsy. Now, a lot of kids who have CP um, have fine motor challenges or wear leg braces amongst other things. So it's great that there's a mat, there's a Velcro and a magnet here. So that helps a little bit. There's also magnets at the bottom to accommodate uh, an ankle foot orthosis or leg brace, which is great. Uh, the challenge is there's zero stretch in these pants. Like they don't stretch at all. And these are also yeah. skinny leg jeans. Mm. So for a child with a foot, you know, with an ankle brace, they most likely won't be able to put a pair of skinny pants, skinny mm. jeans on. Um, another example, I'm going to hide the logo. We'll put a black um, box over it. <laughs> okay, okay. Another example. Again, it's the intention is amazing. Um, because footwear is a huge problem for a lot of people. Um, this was a pair of shoes initially, same population, intended for individuals mm-hmm. with CP that they could independently oh, wow. put on and take off. But so there's this Velcro strap. And then you pull it around the back to slip your foot in. Oh, but wow. 
which is, again, it's a cool concept, but if you actually put this into practice, nobody in that population would be able to do this on their own. So there's strides happening in this space, which is really, really exciting. And I don't want to, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to hate on either of these brands because I think it's amazing that they're, they're in the space in, in general, but um, there's so much more that can be done, mm. uh, which is exciting to see. So another example. Um, so this is an AFO that we designed. Um, so an AFO is a ankle foot orthosis. So it typically keeps your foot at a 90 degree angle. And it often, mm -hmm. there's a lot of different populations that need these. Um, it could be someone who's had a stroke. It could be someone who for whatever issue has foot drop. Um, it could be for a lot of different kids and adults. And they tend to be really bulky, really difficult, really heavy, really difficult to fit in your shoe. You often have to buy a shoe size that's two to three sizes bigger than your actual foot size, mm. which leads to a tripping hazard. Um, it can also kind of cause um, a Frankenstein effect with your with your gait pattern. Um, so this one, we actually 3D printed a scan of an insole for someone's sneaker and then created um, what we've called a passive dynamic AFO. So these ridges allow for flexibility in the toe. And these are all piano wires. Whoa, that, create a, wow. <laughs> that create a spring effect. So it actually helps to propel your foot forward. And then the last piece is a one-handed magnetic clasp so that if you have had a stroke and you or you have hemiplegia, you're able to get in and out of your AFO uh, without assistance. Wow. It's, it's amazing to see all these parts combined into one device and that you're thinking mm -hmm. about all of these different components of it. I, I think what you what you said before about this holistic approach, where mm -hmm. it's it's not just about trying to fix one issue, not just trying to fix foot drop or something like that. It's it's really thinking about when the person who's going to be using this device is trying to use it. What are all of the things that they're going to be thinking and needing to do? And yeah. seeing that come through in your designs is is really amazing. Yeah, thank you. And a lot of it too is because of the students. So the students, all 80 of them come from different <laughs> majors. And so the fact that I've got students and that was part of, you know, the reason why I'm so blessed to be in a lot of different departments or be affiliated with a lot of different departments is it allows me to have students from those departments come to my lab. And I find that teams of interdisciplinary students are doing exactly what I did as a fashion person in a biomechanics and PT lab they're, they're coming at a problem from really different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a physics major, a material science major, a fine arts major, they're going to have a completely unique approach um, and, and different skills to bring to the table. So I think a huge part of kind of this broader thinking, especially with how can we solve the problem is everybody's coming from a different place. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it helps it helps us with our projects get into the headspace of the user a little bit easier because we're not constrained by what we think we know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, so I have a couple more. Is it, is it okay to keep going? Yes, please. please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, so I don't know if you can see this, but this is a 3d scan yes. um, of an individual who's well-known uh, basketball player who had a occipital bone injury 
and needed mm. a protective face mask. So typically, I should have brought a typical one, but typically face masks um, are clear uh, polycarbonate. They have kind of a peaked nose, um, Velcro strap. They fog up very easily. They tend mm. to be very small because it's a one size fits all um, device. And so for this person, I was collaborating with a prosthetist who is uh, affiliated with, with my university. And we created a face mask for him that yeah. perfectly fit his face and allowed for him to have the comfort of something that was custom fitted, but also it has a blend of carbon fiber with the polymers 3D printed. And it had the aesthetic he was interested in because he was interested in a Black Panther inspired mask. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But, <laughs> but it was just a really exciting, <laughs> it's a really exciting um, opportunity to get into a whole different area. And, and when we were talking earlier about like non-compliant patients, athletics has been such a fascinating area to get involved with because mm. the players are so um, hypersensitive you know, for, for good reason, hypersense about what they're wearing during, mm. during gameplay, um, during practice, because they don't want anything that's going to affect their ability to perform at whatever their baseline performance is. So um, it's kind of taken the user-centered design process and put it under a really fine microscope because mm. there's just very little room for, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of constraints, but, <laughs> but it's been exciting to be a part of that. Um, and then the last thing, I'm going to model it here. So <laughs> this is so a sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. That's a sleeve. So it's a sleeve that has different um, stitch patterns. So we have um, not a to sleeve keep on your arm about, just for people yeah. who are listening. Yeah. Oh, sorry. There's a sleeve on my arm um, and not to geek out too much about fabrics and materials, but it's a knitted sleeve. So it's something that would be comparable to a very fine sweater, mm -hmm. like fine. And this, um, this sleeve has different patterns. So you can see there's different patterns for um, the joint area of the arm. And there's mm -hmm. different patterns for like the, um, the forearm and the bicep. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually made of Kevlar. So we had a, oh. um, exciting collaboration with some active military to yeah. create a bulletproof long underwear, which we have successfully done. <laughs> so, <What? laughs> so this That's can be amazing. made into any, any shape and size. Um, our next exciting. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 We're making superhero outfits. Yeah. <laughs> So our, our next um, kind of application for this after we go into, we finish all of our material testing is, is kind of an interesting one. We are working with our local university police force and with mm -hmm. their, um, their training dogs. So their, their um, canine unit and making long under bulletproof long underwear for uh, German shepherds. So you never know. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you never know what kind of project will come down your come down your path. How but, how do you find these yeah. different projects? Do people come to you to you and um, you know they just know of your work or how are you finding all these super so, interesting, such a diverse yeah. applications for yeah 
Yeah. Um, in two different ways. So the most common is I get contacted by an organization. So being mm-hmm. in Delaware, um, I don't know if either of you have been to Delaware, but it's a small state and everybody knows everybody. So. <laughs> I've only so met it's... one person from Delaware before. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, is that, is that a place? I'm like, yeah. I just seems like <laughs> I've never been there. <laughs> yeah. And so because of that, it allows for people to get to know each other pretty quickly. Like there's a, there's a mm. community here. Um, and you know, mm. Philly is really close. New York's really close. Baltimore's really close. So um, I'll have organizations such as Easter Seals or um, we have an amazing hospital called AIT Pont Hospital for Children that's located mm-hmm. in Delaware. It's like a mecca for all different types of diagnoses, um, sports teams, things like that. So because of that small community, I get contacted a lot as people kind of hear about my work. Um, the other avenue is that if I or a student, more often a student, <laughs> Uh, comes up with an idea like they want to do X project or they want to make a certain widget. Um, We very quickly vet the process in a year long qualitative study process to really Mm. understand the the user that these, that the student is inspired by. So we never assume that we know, you know, what I was talking about before, like understanding someone's lived experience. So someone may come to me, a student may come to me inspired, like, I want to make this, or this would be so cool if this existed. And it's like, well, is that actually a problem? Do people need that? You know? And so we, we go out into the community, talk to stakeholders, talk to caregivers, talk to participants um, to try to understand if it really is a need. If it really is a need, then there becomes a participatory design process with that, Mm -hmm. with those stakeholders. And they, they help fuel the project. They help drive it. Mm. They become the population that we do trials with once it's ready. Um, so that's, that's kind of, it usually happens either way like that. And that's a year, that's a year long as our students, um, I guess, as excited about that as <laughs> you are when it comes to, it seems like a long time. And I guess I'm yeah. thinking like, um, yeah, how, kind of like how you teach how to do that because it's also mm-hmm. not a skill I think that comes naturally for engineers too. Um, mm-hmm. and, and thinking about doing that, and then you're you know sharing we should spend a year doing this qualitative research and um, yeah, what is that like trying to guide? <laughs> guide yeah, so that? yeah, it, it's interesting. I've had um, I've had students approach. Uh, Students surprise me all the time. Like I always think mm-hmm. with engineers, they just want to make stuff mm-hmm. or, you know, exercise science people want to do, you know, PT intervention or something. Like mm-hmm. I tend to assume that people in different majors are kind of, you know, the amalgamation of their major. But truthfully, once we explain like, no, we need to actually understand this and we need to get out there and understand this. I, I've never had pushback from any of the students. They get very mm-hmm. excited because it's, it's getting them out of the classroom for one thing, and it's getting them out into the community. They see impact that they're having, their potential for impact, you know, even though it's the beginning of a project. Um, and also projects are in all different phases at all different times. So the, the 20 to 30 projects, there may be like a handful that are in this qualitative space. There could be a handful that are in the ideation space. There could be a handful mm-hmm. that are in the prototyping space. So students can also kind of gravitate towards what type of experience they want to have. Mm-hmm. But 
the qualitative piece is extremely important to me. And um, actually Stanford's D school is where I was <laughs> trained or not, you know, uh, read extensively and had a lot of mentors who helped mold that, um, that approach and process. And I've tried to do that with my students and, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's key, you know, it's key. We can't, we can't just make stuff in a vacuum. 100%, 100%. And I think I, I'm interested in, um, we've talked a lot about the design process and like the importance of empathizing and defining the, a good problem, which I think is so, um, you know, essential in research and science and in translation. But you're also a professor in the entrepreneurship program, and I know you're involved with entrepreneurship program, uh, other programs. So I'm wondering um, how, what is that piece like? Like, I feel like that's a piece I don't know anything about. And I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah, what, what is that piece? How do you push it beyond, you know, okay, we made a cool product, how do you actually get it? Yep. So great question. Um, so that was inspired. I, <laughs> I was not a business person either. So like my, <laughs> I had like in high school, I had a business and I would just give stuff away. Like it really wasn't, <laughs> wasn't a good business model, you know, so I never had that kind of background. Um, but when I was doing my uh, doctoral, doctoral work and I saw kind of the grant system and what is motivating or um, how, how faculty are incentivized. Mm -hmm. Mostly that grant system is really baked into the structure um, and having a project that spans a grant and then you move on to the next grant, you move on to the next grant. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there could be a deliverable or an outcome that's a, that could be a product that the professor is not set up or necessarily inclined to want to spin out a business around mm -hmm. it, but they have the clinical data that supports it. And so there's, there's huge opportunity with academic researchers to have someone kind of help them take it for them. Mm -hmm. So what I've done, um, I've used that as kind of an inspiration to, with my lab, every product that we develop, we tell our uh, internal tech transfer office. So every university has, mm -hmm you know, the, is there new IP being generated? So I let them know, we, we go over the data, go over the product, is it really novel? And then I've started a company with the help of um, Five Lights Group and it's been an amazing process. Um, I've started a company that sole purpose is to commercialize the IP that's generated by my lab. And in part of that, um, the mission so my mission in my lab, you know, is to help quality of life, help independence and make things accessible. The mission of the company is the same. So whatever comes out for commercialization has to be cost effective, has to be easy to get, has to be uh, well researched. So it's actually solving a problem. You know, it has mm -hmm. to follow all of those values. And then all of my students, any student that's on any of those projects that becomes um, a novel IP is a co-inventor. So they get credit. So I, I'm also very transparent that this is not the Martha Hall show. You know, <laughs> it's not just one person doing everything. It's, it's a huge team of people doing amazing work and they should get credit. They should get compensation. If something gets picked up, you know, by a bigger company, um, the whole point of the whole point is translation. So it's been a, it's been an interesting journey, as I said, because I don't come from a business background, 
but I kind of think of it as a social entrepreneurship model Mm. because the goal, I mean, yes, I want the company to do well, but the goal is really to get the products in the hands of the people who were in that year long (laughs) qualitative Mm -hmm. study phase. Otherwise I feel like it's so unfair to be making things and then people can't get them. Like if you create something like we create an AFO that works, you know, and it's better than something it needs to get out there. So it is a challenge. It's, it's, um, it works well for me because I'm this weird kind of unicorn faculty member, but, um, I would encourage either companies out there or faculty to consider, you know, either reaching to an institution to, to help faculty get it out or for faculty to seek out support to uh, translate their research into the community. Mm-hmm. And you said people can do that either through companies or find resources in their um, department. Are there, is there any other advice that you would give to um, people maybe about um, kind of the, from your experience, the impact it's made to make the extra effort and time to see it translated, um, what types of uh, benefits that has as, as a researcher. Mm-hmm. So I'll go back kind of full circle to um, my original mentor, Cole Galloway. So one of the things that he pushed with me is don't go for incremental change, mm-hmm. go for leaps and bounds and change. And so I think as faculty, and as researchers, we're kind of, um, it's okay to do incremental change. You kind of have a niche thing you're doing and you make, you kind of, you know, plug away at it mm-hmm. and, and try to make um, inroads. But if we can incentivize faculty, that innovation, true yeah. transformation yeah. is something that should be their legacy. And there's opportunities to support that, whether that's, it doesn't have to be a company per se. It could be helping to develop a nonprofit, helping to develop, you know, something that at least is translating their work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until we change that kind of internal academic system, it's going to be really challenging. But I would just urge faculty to consider, what do you want your legacy to be? Do you want it Mm -hmm. to be, I got from here to here, so I'm doing an inch? (laughs) (laughs) Or I got got from here to here, you know what I mean? Off the screen. Yeah, Yeah, we can't even see it. (laughs) Yeah, so big. (laughs) wow well i feel like we could talk to you forever this is like so exciting and so inspiring and thank um, you yeah it's just been yeah it's just been such a lovely conversation and um i think we only have a couple questions left um so um i think our first is one we love to ask um what is a time in your career where you feel like you failed um and sometimes people feel like oh they you know Nothing is really a failure because you can learn from it, which I think is a healthy mindset too. But take that question however mm-hmm. you'd like. Um, and yeah, there's an experience you'd like to share with us. So one, so one example that just comes to mind immediately is, um, you know, we were talking earlier about feeling like when you're in school, you're on a track. And, mm. you know, you have an interest in something. There are specific steps you need to take to get there and then you get there and it's awesome and you're <laughs> you're going to be fulfilled and happy and everything's going to be magical. Um, when I was, again, doing fashion, I thought at one point, you know, maybe working in a museum or doing something where I 
was, you know, curating these beautiful gowns from Dior or what have you. And, <laughs> and, so, and so I thought that that would be this amazing job. And I think a lot of times, um, you know, putting myself in that perspective as a student, you don't know what a job's going to be like until you do the job. And you often mm -hmm. romanticize that job. At least I do. <laughs> I tend to think yeah. of like this perfect scenario of what it is. And it may not be at all what you think it is. And so when I did my first costume museum internship and I was alone in a vault picking bugs out of an old dress, I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is not... This is not at all what I want to be doing with my life. And so I was like, there's got to be a way, you know, in hindsight, there's a way to apply that interest and that joy that I have for craftsmanship and design in other ways. So mm. was it a failure? I mean, yeah, I thought it was frustrating to think that I had gone so far in my, my schooling and I wasn't going to do, you know, I wasn't going to do what I thought I was wanting to do. And, and it's hard. You take that personally, or I do um, yeah. take it really personally. Like there's something wrong with me that I don't feel like this is right. But if it doesn't feel right, go with your gut. And, and for the career that I have now, I'm really, really glad that I'm not back in that vault and <laughs> still doing that <laughs> and, and took a leap of faith. So. Well, I think I can speak for many, many people uh, when I say that we're also glad that you're not in that ball. No. <laughs> <laughs> not only because of all the amazing things that have come from your work, but just the, the person that you are and how inspiring I think you've been to so many people and showing them that there's more than just the traditional path that um, oftentimes we think is, is laid out for us and to just sort of expand our our imagination of what's possible um, so we have really appreciated uh you sharing that story with us that it wasn't always like that necessarily um but to see where where you've come from that is is amazing um and as our last question we'd like to ask what you are most excited about for the future of um well, I guess so many yeah, different so areas, many but guys. sort of this integration of biomechanics and fashion and wearables. What are you, where are you most excited to see that going? I think for me, I really, I really, really, really want to create a new either, you know, undergraduate program, graduate program, or show industry people a new field of study. Mm. that combines all these different things because I've had so many students who want to do what I do or like, mm -hmm. what kind of job can I get when I do what you do? And it's like, well, we're really kind of forging new territory here. And so mm. I would love to have an opportunity to, you know, teach more students this interdisciplinary approach. And even if they don't go into that as a career, I've found that just having students understand an empathy driven process makes mm -hmm. them a, nicer human, you know, it makes them, <laughs> makes them a good person um, or helps them be a good person. So that's something I'm excited about to try to get that kind of swell, groundswell to see, to recognize that this is a, a an emerging space. And then also to show industry, you know, again, they don't have to be in buckets. Like they don't have to be on these tracks um, mm -hmm. with fashion just being this and medical device yeah. design just being this there's a different way of approaching it. So what I'm most excited about is hopefully creating some change, whether that's in mm. 
teaching new students or helping to educate industry um, to think a little bit broadly about how we can go about solving these health problems. Well, we hope that's the future too. Like where I know Melissa and I have talked so many times about like this like boundary that feels like this boundary you've got to keep that in your industry. And like, we're so excited about a future that integrates both. And we were just talking last night about like, why is there not a lab that is like, you know, has two PIs and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, or just like all these different things. Like, um, yeah. so it's so exciting to hear your answer and hear you, um, yeah, imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea of so many siloed yeah. departments and you're going into this track or this yeah. track. And I think um, something we're excited about too is just not having those walls anymore. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's cool to see you live that out in your work and, and um, also thinking about how you can not just do that in your work, but then start to change things um, more like within academics more generally. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really exciting too. So thank yeah. you so much for sharing your work with us and um, helping us think more broadly and expand uh, our, our, you know, we've, our we've bubbles. <laughs> heard a lot about biomechanics <laughs> and integrating fashion with that and entrepreneurship is something that we haven't covered yet. So we're so grateful for, for all of your insights. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you again for this opportunity. It's great to share, share a story and just, um, you know, hope it inspires other people to, to, try new things and combine new things. So, so thank you for the, for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely inspired at least two people. <laughs> World domination. <laughs> Pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Huge. Thank you to professor Martha Hall mm -hmm. for such an awesome interview. We, came out of that with so much energy and excitement for all the possibilities of biomechanics. Um, and she wanted us to say, we forgot to ask how people, how students or anyone interested can reach out to her. Her lab email is innovationlab at udell.edu. And we'll put that in the show notes too. And she just wanted us to, to make sure that we emphasize that if you're interested, please reach out. She loves hearing new ideas from people and she's happy to talk to students who are interested and they're kind of carving this new field and so it's really exciting to see that and if you are excited about that then please feel free to reach out to her and now let's talk about some fails <laughs> Our first fail was not asking that question, uh, asking the question about reaching right, out. Right, right, yeah. So that that uh, we always have more than than we need here. <laughs> I'd say my fail fail last week was um, I I was at this workshop in Boston and I I was um kind of running late to the workshop, so I was uh, it, it's a really amazing workshop called Rising Stars, and it was for mechanical engineers, and um, it was at MIT and. If you're nearing the end of your PhD or postdoc, I'd recommend also looking up that program, um, although it's probably once a year offered. But anyway, for next year, for next year. Um, <laughs> I learned so much. In that. But anyways, I was walking to the program. I was running a little late. Um, so I started kind of jogging in Boston. You know, all of the sidewalks are brick cobblestone and cobblestone. And me being my clumsy self, I step into a hole um, in the sidewalk where a tree is and 
sprained my ankle so bad. It's like huge. I kind of like am blacking out as I'm trying to like stand up and recover from this. So I call an Uber. I also like tear my pants. They're like all bloody. I'm like, I make it to the workshop and I'm like, hi, um, like, can I have some ice? <laughs> I just felt really bad and yeah, people from like the other side of the room were like came over and were like um your ankle is like I can see it from the other side of the room it's the size of a tennis ball like are you okay <laughs> and it was huge and um now I'm wearing an ankle brace um and trying to just do my rice my resting yeah, and my icing up. and my compression and my elevating like I know you need to do but it's uh my whole foot is purple and swollen and it's just a big old mess so. <laughs> so one of my dreams of Melissa living in Boston is a little broken yeah I'm too accident prone <laughs> to live in Boston that is or what I've you know maybe that's it's the, the rigid the, the rigidity of the design you know maybe I need clothing that's like you're about to trip uh, yeah or maybe we just put her in a bubble yeah I'm just it's like Melissa if you've listened to any of the other fails that we've talked about on boom it's always me injuring myself. Injury, <laughs> injury biomechanics. <laughs> yes, I am passionate about the field, and yeah, I think it's it's more also just like this amazement that like your body can recover from these things. You True. know, I hurt myself all the time, and um, even though I always feel like I'm falling apart, I need to think of it in the opposite. That you know, it's amazing that we can, um, your body can heal from these things. So. Yeah, yeah, and I'm reminded of that every pretty much every day. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was enough fail for <laughs> <laughs> it sure was so thank you so much for listening to this episode if you um thank you to the International Society of Biomechanics the Stanford Neuromuscular Biomechanics Laboratory and the Catalyst Project on Motivating Mobility that you can learn more about at mo- uh, motivatingmobility.stanford.edu We'd like to say a big thank you to Peter Washington for all the amazing music and sounds you hear. And if you'd like to submit a research fail, a person, um, suggest a person to interview or get involved, please email us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at biomechanicsoom. You can follow our YouTube channel. You can check out our brand new website, biomechanicsonourminds.com, to also have links to all of these things. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, and yeah, if you learned something from this episode, please make sure to share it with someone. Let us know what you learned on social media or send us a message and let us know what you learned. We love hearing from you. It makes our days and also gives us motivation to keep going and, and doing more boom. So, um, yeah, yeah do you. it for us, please. Yeah. We're selfish in that way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, you know us. I'm Hannah. I'm Melissa. Biomechanics off our minds. minds.